Hello and you are listening to Scar Joe Agogo, the podcast where I chronicle and dissect the films of Scarlett Johansson in chronological order. I'm Luke and this week I'm talking about Captain America, colon, The Winter Soldier. We're here to learn, not just to yarn, for our most loved celebrity. We'll watch the screen, what can we glean from her career trajectory? Cause she'd prefer if you'd refer to her as Miss Johansson. Don't be a jerk to Miss Johansson. Respect her work. She starts off really small and then she grows, she grows, she grows, she grows. Let's see how far she goes. Scarjo would go. Magic! Puff the dragon was magic. Uh, Gandalf was magic. David Copperfield was magic. But not the Dickens character, I mean the other guy. Fuck the Dickens guy. And for the last few years, popular culture has hammered in the point that friendship is magic. Now, I am certainly no pony fan. I am, in fact, a staunch believer that all horse types are best utilized by society as pet food and glue possibly uh, could be used in Lord of the Rings movies. If you're a hobbit and you want a pony, sure. However, this radical idea that friendship is the magical ingredient which could elevate the quality of our cake, assuming of course now that films are cakes, at least for the purposes of the uh, vague analogy here anyway, which I realize is uh, rapidly escaping me. Um, Friendship is magical, and what's more, it's crucial in Captain America, colon, The Winter Soldier, because it is the ingredient that, in my humble opinion, enables Scarlett Johansson's Black Widow character to soar. I'm going to elaborate. But first, when we last left Scarlett, she appeared ever so briefly as a a Suicide Girls-esque restaurant hostess in writer, director, actor John Favreau's passion project, Chef, where he was able to hang out again with a couple of his Iron Man 2 alumni, and it was a role where she got to be very supportive of John, encouraged John, talked about John, felt the things that John felt, and then ate a bowl of pasta. Which brings us now to 2014's Captain America sequel, subtitled The Winter Soldier, and directed by the now quite sought after uh, Russo Brothers, whose previous credits included things like uh, episodes of Community, and the film You, Me, and Dupree. Thank Christ I'm not doing a Owen Wilson retrospective. What would we call that one? Oh, will Captain America was probably my least favorite Avengers character, and although I was entertained by his first cinematic outing, I certainly didn't love it. I kind of feel like the first half of Captain America, First Avenger, uh, the origin story part is it's classic, it's well told, but then it kind of falls apart into incoherence for me in the second half, only really being saved at the last minute by a satisfying coda. However, the Russos, Russos, did at least two things that really made Winter Soldier work for me. Firstly, 
they approach the film with a very fresh energy. There's no pretension here, just passion. It, it felt like there was a fun looseness and willingness to experiment and play, which really invigorates the production. You can tell they're very happy to be given this opportunity to direct a feature film, a big blockbuster part of the Marvel Universe, and they're going to make the most of it. And secondly, they make great use of Scarlett Johansson's Black Widow character, making her a very crucial part of Cap's team and really fleshing out both her and her relationships. And that, of course, is why we're even here in the first place and talking about this. And this film has a really strong vision. It's a playful take on a political spy crime thriller, uh, but it has still those over-the-top superhero dressings and trappings, and it has a ton of momentum. It's always driving forward towards something. And really, it felt like it was destined to be my favourite blockbuster genre film of 2014, and would have been had Marvel not followed up with the one-two punch of Guardians of the Galaxy. So it was a really great year for Marvel. My cat's meowing in the background. I don't know if you can hear that or not. We're going to ignore him, because... Come on, dude. I'm doing a podcast. Jeez. But I definitely am of the belief that this is the best version of Black Widow so far. And thankfully, there is quite a lot of her in this film. But as always, I'm only going to talk about her sequences rather than give you a blow-by-blow description of the film. Because, you know what? A fair bit happens in Winter Soldier to keep track of. So... We'll only talk about what we need to know. So let's start this film up and see how we go. So it begins in Washington, D.C., and a new character, which is Sam Wilson, I think we're going to call him Anthony Mackie because that's the actor's name. He's running around some monuments and famous buildings and things, and Cap, Steve Rogers in his civilian clothes, he's out running too, and he is literally running circles around this guy completely lapping him. They meet, they bond, they joke around. There's a bit of early friendship magic being sprinkled over this scene. But what you and I are really concerned about is three minutes in when we are treated to a very iconic shot of Black Widow, Scarlett Johansson herself, pulling up in a black Corvette Stingray and looking out towards Cap. And it's really a perfect shot. I love the framing of it. I love the fact that she gets a worthy entrance. This profile of a sleek car in front of the Capitol building. It's a great reveal and there's something very sophisticated and Bond-esque about her, which is fitting because remember, she is a super spy. But the great thing is, she's not a Bond girl here. She is Bond. And I feel like the car alone even expands upon her character's world in this first shot, suggesting a richer life outside of what we know of her, and also a very refined taste. Uh, She's also undergone some cosmetic changes. She's got longer straight hair this time, which is arguably also a little more elegant, but it's also a very convenient way of showing us that this film does not take place straight after Avengers. This is a different Black Widow, a different Nat, someone who has settled in and grown since we last saw her. Plus, this is the first time where, as an audience, we're really aligning her directly with Cap. Before, we thought of her as being most likely paired up with Hawkeye, 
So this opens up new possibilities immediately, which, you know, further expanding her world, but also securing her place as one of that core team alongside Cap and Thor and Iron Man. Before, I think, you always think of Cap, Iron Man, Thor, Hulk as being the four main Avengers, and then, you know, Hawkeye, Black Widow, they're more like Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., and they're sort of on the sidelines. But this cements her as being right in there with the rest of them. And her first line, we always talk about her first line, totally dry delivery. She says, hey fellas, anyone know where the Smithsonian is? I'm here to pick up a fossil. Talking about Captain America, of course. So it's playful, it's funny, and it immediately suggests a level of familiarity. This is a guy that she is comfortable with. She playfully flirts with Anthony Mackie too. She's all eyes straight face, just peering at them through the open window. But then, after this sequence, we cut immediately to business. It's night time. We're in a plane above the Indian Ocean. Both Cap and Black Widow are passengers. They're now suited up in their superhero suits. Her in her black cat suit. Him in his red, white, and blue cap suit. See what I did there? And they're getting briefed on this mission. So it's an immediate change of tone. It's dark, it's tense. But the conversation between Widow and Cap even though, you know, we know they're about to go in and, and do this serious mission, is about his love life. And it's really wonderful. She's sort of teasing him about what he does on his weekends, whether he's met anybody. And the friendship between them is established very, very quickly here. Because I think, you know, it's easy to forget that in Avengers, we were really seeing a bunch of strangers who, when they weren't literally fighting each other, were, were trying to get a feel for how they all fit together and their default modes seem to be quite suspicious of each other. Here, however, we have two friends, and I really do believe that it's this new camaraderie that fuels much of the film, especially where Widow is concerned. You know, she's never a damsel in distress here. She's a capable equal, she's funny, she's smart, and she also has a job to do. Although it is Cap that interrupts the conversation by leaping solo out of the plane without a parachute which I guess is a not-so-subtle reminder that let's not forget, let's not get too carried away, this is still his movie. It's his name up at the front on the poster. Captain America, the Winter Soldier. It's not called the Captain Nat and Bucky adventure, which isn't without its charm. So yes, he leaps out, it's his movie, but don't panic, a widow choosing to drop in after him is not without reason. She has her own agenda here beyond the mission that he thinks they're doing which we're about to discover. Uh, by the way, I really do love these action scenes as Cap drops to one side of the ship and then pretty much plows forward from left to right towards Batroc, which is the enemy he has to take down. And this is the momentum I was talking about. And uh, I remember like from uh, film school being told that, you know, in a lot of Western films, the good guys move from left to right across the screen bad guys tend to move from right to left. And I do feel that forward momentum of Cap just absolutely tearing through this thing. He really is a powerhouse, and the shield is used to great effect here as he uses it as an offensive weapon which bounces around and in and out of his hands. And once he does clear the deck, Black Widow drops in on a parachute and without skipping a beat, continues their prior conversation about his love life. So it's another fantastic economic character moment. And it's not just that she's funny, uh, which does make her more relatable, but it's that 
It shows that this is just business as usual for her. She's got no fear or emotion when it comes to this job, which is really how it should be. That's how she's trained to be. She's got this completely under control. So Cap gives her the task of securing the engine room while he continues to beat the shit out of a lot of anonymous dudes. And great black widow fighting on the way to the engine room. She does a flirty hey sailor before going into this kick-ass straight-faced action mode. She's got a wire that comes out of her wrist which she um, swings down on. She's got a twin pistols blazing. I really like the use of gadgetry here getting overexcited, uh, because expanding her arsenal, it really expands her character. We also see her using the Widow's Sting Gauntlets, which are highlighted in this new version of the suit, which has the electric blue piping. So she has no trouble believably taking out her own share of enemies and securing the room. And it's not just through like brute strength or anything like that. It's because she's smart and she uses the tools at her disposal to her advantage. She then mysteriously goes dark though. She misses a rendezvous point and isn't responding to Cap over the walkie-talkie, a little earpiece or whatever the Avengers use to communicate with each other. And this is because, as I was suggesting before, she has her own extra reason for being there and is busy covertly carrying out an extra mission of her own. Which is a nice touch, which greatly assists with her character building. She's a good friend and she's a great asset to the team, but she's still not quite yet fully separated from her shady past. She's a spy first and really does have a strong allegiance to S.H.I.E.L.D. And then Cap ends up accidentally crashing into a room where we see this another iconic shot of her bent over a computer. Um, And it's probably the most knowingly sexy of all the shots of her in this film. It's the tight catsuit bending over, butt sticking out. But I like that he stumbles upon it. This isn't a pose which is intended for anybody. This is Widow thinking that she's alone and very much immersed in her job. And when sprung by a very concerned Cap, who doesn't think she should be doing this, she remains completely poised and nonchalant. She does not see him as a threat and is determined to get a job done, which in this case is rescuing S.H.I.E.L.D. intel. And he has to actually forcibly grab her arm to make her even remotely aware of how serious he's taking this. But then they are rocked by an explosion and a dusty grimacing and hurt, which I also love because they're badass, but they're not indestructible. And yes, she can look sexy, but she's not going to maintain that during an explosion. And he doesn't have to protect her either. They both take their hits, they both suffer together. He's pissed at her, and she does look momentarily torn and concerned. Like, you know, did she do the right thing? Did she betray him? You know, perhaps it isn't quite as easy for her to do this as we thought. Maybe she's starting to feel closer to Cap after all. So, Cap confronts Nick Fury, Samuel L. Jackson, about it at S.H.I.E.L.D. headquarters. Fury defends Widow's actions, which were his orders. Fury takes Cap underground to see these huge, crazy helicarriers that they have for a project called Project Insight. It's going to look over the world and eliminate threats pretty much even before they happen. And Cap's not so sure about this. We get the little speech about freedom, politics. You know, this isn't freedom. This is fear. Fury gets hold of the USB of shit that Widow stole from the ship, but oddly does not have the security access to get into it. Curiouser and curiouser. Something's up here, dear listener. He also uh, talks about his concerns with Robert Redford, who turns out to be the head of S.H.I.E.L.D., and is also a little bit dodgy, if you ask me. 
But then, on the way home, or to buy milk, or do something like that, Fury is attacked in his car by supposed police, a SWAT team, they're suspicious characters as well, and then he is blown up by a mysterious masked stranger with a silver cyborg arm. For the purposes of this podcast, let's just call this mysterious stranger um, Bucky, or the Winter Soldier, who is Bucky. And Fury manages to escape and turns up at Cap's house. However, then Fury, Samuel Jackson, is sniped by the Winter Soldier and Cap ends up chasing after him on the rooftops at night. But uh, Winter Bucky gets away and, you know, those eyes, God, they remind me of someone like um, Bucky. Yeah, it's totally Bucky. This guy is Bucky. So thanks for your patience because it's 38 minutes in when we finally see Widow again arriving to see Fury bloodied on an operating table and she shares her concern with a worried Cap and this is the first time we do see genuine emotion and concern from her. Obviously, Nick Fury is someone that she really cares about. She says like, don't do this to me, Nick. It's not stated outright, but it it feels like Fury and S.H.I.E.L.D. were definitely her saviour from her shady past and no doubt, like, this guy is one of the closest people she has to family or a father. And we see her through the glass doing her best to remain stoic and strong, but she's visibly shaken. And then in another room when they're about to put the sheet over him, he's dead. Spoilers. A, a tear is on her face as um, Cap and uh, Kobe Smolders, Maria Hill, she's here as well. Um, they look over Fury's body. And... Widow is the closest to him. I mean this uh, both emotionally and physically. Like she's standing closest to the body. The other two are holding back, giving her a space. And she definitely seems the most upset and affected by this. So she walks out with grim determination. Like she's going to, um, I don't know, avenge him. Like some kind of avenger. And now she has doubts about Cap. Now the questions are sort of rising for her. She's getting a bit paranoid. Like, why was Fury in his apartment? What happened to that milk he was going to go and buy? And it's a nice contrast from the carefree character that we saw at the beginning because the film suddenly has real stakes and it needed them now. This is the time to start tightening up the plot and really focus this adventure. Now, here's what you need to know in order to set up her next appearance. Cap goes to Redford for a chat, but not before the USB, which Fury had palmed to him before his death, is hidden in a vending machine, which was being restocked. Which I don't think is the most solid plan from Captain America. Like, he really better pray that that particular flavour of gum that he hid it behind isn't popular in these parts. It's a bit of an off-the-cuff decision. I think he should have done some research. What's your least favourite flavour of gum? Asked everybody who was working there. Maybe he just instinctively knows this stuff. And then when Cap go after he sees Redford in the S.H.I.E.L.D. headquarters, when he leaves in the elevator, he is attacked by Frank Grillo. Now, he's the actor from um, Perjanaki. Supposed to be a good guy, supposed to be a chum, but uh, has turned on Cap as well as all his goons, they attack Cap in the elevator, and Cap beats the shit out of all of them for America and jumps out the window. He is now declared a fugitive from S.H.I.E.L.D. So now, in a hoodie, great disguise, the modern equivalent of a trench coat and glasses, he returns to the vending machine, probably to buy a lot of unpopular gum and retrieve the USB, 
but somebody, some scamp, some rapscallion has beaten him to it. And then another perfect shot as we see Scarlet's reflection behind him casually blowing a bubble. She outsmarted him, she beat him to it, and he pushes into a room and up against the wall to interrogate her, and she tells him about the legend of an assassin called the Winter Soldier. It's all exposition, it's comic booky, it's probably even a little bit silly, but she gives it the weight that it needs. She takes it seriously, she commits to it, and that's all you need in a film like this. She even shows off her belly scar from where a bullet went through her. Um, which is another great addition to the character. Like, contrary to Cap's following quip, she's probably not going to be comfortable parading around in a bikini anytime soon. And she's wearing a cat suit, but at the same time, it's kind of closing her off. It's always zipped up. She's protecting herself. She's a difficult character to get close to. But now circumstances have drawn Cap and Black Widow together again, and so begins their uneasy alliance again. And in fact, now Cap is reliant on her. She's got her own hoodie disguise on, and she's the one with the plan here. She's the one that's leading him around and telling him what to do. Uh, They're uploading the USB in a computer store. She's doing all the tech. She's typing. She's smart. She has agency. They need each other. And when sprung by an employee, she plays a ditzy character just for a second. You know, she pretends she's his fiance, excited about their wedding plans before going back to her completely deadpan leet hacking. And then as they head out of the mall, Grillo and his goons are closing in, and Scarlet again is now giving the instructions, using her spy skills, keeping their cover. She forces Cap to kiss her on the escalator, an act which afterwards seems to mean really nothing to her. It's just a trick so that the goons don't see them, uh, but it has had more of an effect on him. She's definitely a master manipulator. And I think it's worth mentioning, perhaps at this point now as well, that the um, casual costume also includes a necklace, which is a silver arrow, which, of course, is a reference and a reminder of Hawkeye, who is the archer. And it's an interesting touch, because if there'd been any assumption that Black Widow had been put in this film as a love interest for Cat, then it's really not the case. And refreshingly so, in fact. They really are just good friends. And it's not hard to believe that the same is the case in real life for Johansson and Evans. And in fact, we talked about their camaraderie. I've praised that dialogue at the beginning and and how well they get along. And uh, apparently, they wrote some of their dialogue themselves. So you really are seeing that real-life friendship reflected in the characters. And the fact that the directors were willing to let them do that, that there was no um, resilience or, or pretension there, that they were willing to experiment, to play around, to, to let them do what they needed to do to bring the best they could to the characters, is really admirable. So this arrow necklace suggests that it's instead Hawkeye who's on her mind. It is he who she has the true bond with, which would certainly make sense considering their past working together, the the debt that was mentioned between her and him uh, that was mentioned in the Avengers movie. And apparently, again, it was Scarlet herself as an actor who suggested that she wear this necklace. It was her that requested this addition to her wardrobe. Now, of course, after Age of Ultron, we know now that things have panned out differently to what we might have assumed. 
But whether she even knew that was going to happen or not, the arrow still very much works in my opinion. It, it's a reminder of a close bond to a very dear friend, and, and that doesn't have to be romantic. Because let's not forget, this is a character who really has had her identity kind of scrubbed from her and seems to have had all kind of ties to family and friends removed from her as well. These are things we'll explore more when we get to Age of Ultron. So it stands to reason that those relationships with people like Hawkeye, with people like Nick Fury, have an unusual degree of importance to her. That These are the people that she keeps closest to her heart. Literally here, because that necklace is pretty close to her heart. And her boobies. <laughs> just, that was just one for the Brahansons, if they're still listening. Now, they chat in a borrowed car, and she's the passenger this time. And she has her feet on the dashboard, which is totally badass, verging on weird outsider behavior. I wouldn't be surprised if this is something she's thrown in again. And feet, bringing the feet back into play. We know Scarlet likes to do that. And Cap does the right thing and tells her off. Don't put your feet on the dashboard. It's cool though. And she continues to tease him about his love life, teases him about the kiss they shared. And it's a nice scene because it neatly segues from playfulness to a rather wistful reflection on her character. The truth is fluid for her. She makes things up. She changes who she is. And she says to him, what do you want me to be? And he says, how about a friend? And she says there's a chance she might be in the wrong business, Rogers. So were they not already friends? I assume they were friends. Magical friends was my hypothesis. But I guess this is the thing. They're close, but not too close. There's a darkness beneath this character that stops her from letting anybody get too near. So they follow the coordinates together that they got off the USB. And Widow remains sharp and useful throughout these scenes. They discover the hidden bunker full of crazy old computers. Scarlet inserts the USB, an old Nazi bad guy, Armin Zola, he's Swiss actually, not German, as he tells us, uh, played by Toby Jones, is now a digitized image on a computer screen. And he recognizes her and states that she was born in 1984, which is Scarlet's real birth year, coincidentally. Another hint that she feels very close and linked and has a real ownership of this character. And, you know, look, we're getting to the point of this film now where it probably is less about character development and more about driving the plot forward, as it should be at this point. But her performance is very consistent throughout. You know, she keeps dry, funny and personable whenever there's an opportunity, but plays it straight and really sells the fantastical storyline when necessary. Oh, and they find out Hydra is behind all of this. Hydra has been um, working S.H.I.E.L.D. from the inside. And all those helicarriers watching the world are going to kill a lot of people. They're going to cause all sorts of shit. And then Widow and Cap are blown up again. Worse this time. More dusty pain and stuff. And this time he does heroically carry her out of the wreckage like a big man. Fair enough. Can't win them all baby steps. We're not at the point yet where Black Widow is going to carry Cap out of the wreckage in his own movie. But she's still a pretty progressive character. We can easily let it slide. 
And uh, Winter Soldier is revealed to be working for Robert Redford. So he is the rotten apple at the bottom of this barrel. And Widow and Cap turn up on Anthony Mackie's doorstep for Sanctuary. Sanctuary! A nice little character moment for Widow as they clean up, shower and stuff. She realises that, you know, her work for S.H.I.E.L.D., something that she thought was a salvation, I guess, from her shifty past, it's all turned out to be a lie. I mean, she's been working for the enemy. And even though he saved her from that wreckage, carried her out in one of those, like, you know, big Gone with the Wind sort of shots... Uh, which is what we're used to seeing. There's a nice acknowledgement of it here. She says, if it was the other way around, if it comes down to me saving your life, would you trust me to do it? And he says, I would now. So she doesn't even trust herself, I think is what this is driving at. And it's such a nice way to deal with this, you know, to team up this dark, shady Black Widow character. Someone who, again, is the outsider in Scarlet's the outsider in 95% of the film she's been in, as we've learned, uh, to team her up with Captain America, who's her opposite, really. He's this naive, innocent, hopeful, truthful beacon. So to put these two very different characters, he's together, he's bringing a lot out of her and helping her grow. And it's a great performance here from Scarlet too. Like, it's played totally straight and believable, and there's a real poignancy to what she's doing. Um, it's meaningful, and it elevates this sort of comic booky material. And, and that's why it's so fucking ridiculous when you hear these reports of studios saying, oh, you know, we, they'll never do a Black Widow movie because uh, female superhero movies don't sell, they, they don't work, and they state failures like Catwoman. But, you know, this isn't Halle Berry hamming it up and drinking milk from a bowl on the floor. Scarlet is approaching all this with dignity, with the same level of truth as you would as an actor in any other movie, in a more serious movie. And it's better for it. Uh, another great moment, uh, which highlights the yin-yang light-dark of Cap and Widow. Uh, they question dodgy Agent Sitwell as Cap threateningly holds him on the edge of a building. And Sitwell doesn't buy this. It doesn't fit Cap's character. He's not Batman. And he says, it's really not your style, Rogers. And, and Steve Cap goes, you're right, it's hers. And Black Widow kicks him off the fucking building. And then just... Again, not missing a beat, starts asking Cap casually about his love life again. And yeah, look, Falcon rescues Sitwell with his flying backpack thing. But still, seriously, how amazingly cool is that? I always forget about that scene when I watch the film. And when she kicks him, I'm like, <laughs> Black Widow, you're the best. And then on their way back in the car, Sitwell in tow, Winter Soldier attacks, kills Sitwell... And this is a big action sequence where the treatment of Scarlet, of Black Widow, is very smart because she doesn't have this brute strength or super strength or enhanced strength at all of Bucky or Cap, but she's able to use her spy gadgets and tricks, for example, the voice recording decoy, uh, to put up a really solid fight and to keep her in the action. In fact, she's doing an amazing job until she's shot in the shoulder and then she really does sell the look of someone who thinks for just a split second that they are probably going to die. It's a really raw and desperate fight, and it's only brought to a halt when Cap finally realises, you know, he sees Bucky without the mask, those eyes. Is it, is it Bucky? 
It's Bucky. I can't mistake those eyes anywhere. But Bucky died back in World War II. That's impossible. They get captured. They're in the back of a truck. Widow is losing blood. She's tapping out. But relax. Kobe Smolders, remember her. She's there. She's in the back in disguise. And she rescues them and takes them to a hideout in a dam. Or should I say... Damn! Because Nick Fury, Samuel L. Jackson, is there. He's alive, the prankster. It was all a trick so that he could go underground. So Widow gets the medical attention she needs. This is basically time to lick our wounds, make a plan, and prepare for the final confrontation in the third act. I off, like most genre action movies, have this beat in them that regroup lick the wounds, prepare for battle at the end of Act 2. And I've always called that going to the farm because it's what happens in the Ninja Turtle movie. You know, they leave New York, they go to the farm, they kind of heal up, get to know each other a bit better, sort of become stronger again, and then they go back to New York for the final fight. So it was really interesting to me in Avengers 2, Age of Ultron, the fact that they literally do go to a farm for that exact same reason. Coincidence? I think not. So I guess Scarlet taking the bullet is really calculated to make us believe that she's now out of the picture. So it's leaving Cap to go and confront Redford and the Winter Soldier to stop this whole helicarrier plan himself, which is totally not the case. There's some more sneaky spy subterfuge here as the Security Council meet Redford in person in his office at the S.H.I.E.L.D. headquarters. There's something about the older British lady in the Security Council wearing the blue dress. That all hell breaks loose? It breaks loose, my friend! Everything is so chaotic, it's even fucking up my sentences. The carriers are launched into into the air, Falcon and Cap get onto them, try and shut them down. And then in the office, this British woman that I told you to keep an eye on, suddenly beats up some dudes and turns a gun on Robert Redford. And it turns out that it's really Scarlett Johansson wearing a holographic mask. Now... I said back in Iron Man 2, if you can remember that far, a few weeks ago, that I really wanted to see more duality from Scarlet in the role of Black Widow. Like, let's see her go undercover and take on different disguises and characters. Because remember, in Iron Man 2, she was supposed to be undercover. But she was Natasha Romanoff disguising herself as Natalie Rushman, which is a total fucking rookie move considering they look the exact same and their name was virtually the same and now she's doing what i wanted you know she's playing another character but of course in this instance the other character is played by another actress and the reveal is just a bit of cgi trickery so scarlet never gets to play anybody other than black widow And I really want to see in future movies, and especially if we ever get a Black Widow movie, I really want to see her start taking on different covers, different characters, different disguises herself, often black style. Like, really push her performances and see how far she can take this character. Let her be the other characters and convince us that she's somebody else. Like, that spy thing should always be at the forefront for her, just like Thor's hammer is always at the forefront for him, or Iron Man's crazy Mark 327 armors are there for him. 
I would love to see them find that with this character and really exploit it. Anyway, she gets onto the computer and begins to dump all their secure files and secrets onto the net. I like to call it the World Wide Web. Redford taunts her that it will reveal her past, that the world will see her for who she really is. She hesitates just for a second, but it's quick. She's determined to do this for the greater good. So much intrigue about her past and, and these secrets that people keep threatening to expose. Loki threatened. Now Robert Redford, the great Gatsby himself, is threatening. Just give us the Black Widow movie, fuck you. And then Falcon flies around with his wings, his wing backpack. He's awesome. Cap fights Winter Soldier on a helicarrier while trying to shut them down. Redford, back in the office, gets the upper hand on Widow because it's revealed that her name tag that she was given when she came in can kill her. And it kills the other security council members. It can burn a two-inch hole in your sternum if he presses a button. Not sure why he doesn't just press the button, but at the same time... I'm glad he didn't, because that would have been the end of Black Widow. And he wants Scarlet to fly him out of there. Remember my confusion in Avengers about the jet? Can she fly the jet? I thought she could fly the jet, but then someone said to her and Hawkeye, can either of you fly a jet? And I was like, Hawkeye can. But now Robert Redford wants her to to fly a jet. But she does the noble thing. This is really kick-ass. She electrocutes herself with her Widow's Sting gauntlets and shorts out her badge and knocks herself to the ground. She's down for the count, count, but does manage a strained quip before she blacks out. Black Widow, you rock. Actually, no, she's not even down because a bit later she's in a helicopter yelling things. Black Widow, you double rock. And Cap brings down the helicarriers. They crash with him on them, but Bucky pulls him out of the water and buggers off into the ether. This is a mystery that is to be solved another day in another place. And then we get into our our little resolution part. Black Widow is questioned by the government. So they reckon that she belongs in a penitentiary, but she's so tough and cool. She's not disturbed by this at all. She's like, you need us. And she's like, if you want to arrest me, arrest me. You know where to find me. And she fucking drops the mic and she is out of there. And then she turns up at Nick Fury's grave. He's there too. Obviously, I don't know what's buried in there. Probably some big bags of potatoes or something. It's all a bit of a scam. She's blown all her covers. She's got to figure out new ones. She's going to go away for a bit. But she does give Cap some intel on the Winter Soldier. Tells him to sort out your fucking love life. Get some action, old man. She cares about him. There's a friendly kiss on the cheek. And then she's gone. And in the closing credits, she gets second billing, which really isn't bad considering, yeah, Chris Evans gets first billing, but it is his movie. His name's up there. She's right there behind him. So, uh, you know, in conclusion, this is a really enjoyable, smart action film with strong characters. And it's just really great at doing what it sets out to do. And it's particularly great at further grounding and developing this Black Widow character, really expanding her character in every direction, widening out her world. And when you think about the character's humble beginnings, where she almost was like a fashion model or a personal assistant and uh, with big fake eyelashes and stuff in Iron Man 2, you know, a character that February really just didn't seem to know what to do with. 
she's been moving forwards in, in leaps and bounds. Sometimes literally because she is very acrobatic. Uh, normally I ask, why was she cast? That's kind of obvious this time, right? I mean, she's the character. But I do totally admire her dedication to furthering this character and really making it her own. I think that's really wonderful when an actor really owns a character and especially in Scarlett's case where she's not typecast I mean she's able to do this character to be this big part of a massive pop culture phenomenon but at the same time gets to do all these other different movies and and small weird indie movies like Under the Skin Uh, that's the best of all the worlds that's all the cake and eating the cake and still having cake in the fridge if you get hungry later. And if you want to get up late at night and eat that cake, that's fine because there's more cake arriving tomorrow. So much delicious cake. Uh, Scarcapulary. What phrase did we learn? Uh, I think going to the farm. I I think going to the farm is just a great phrase that you can apply to a lot of blockbuster films. Look for it. You always can pick the beginning of Act 3 in a, a genre blockbuster. And just before that, I guarantee you the characters are at maybe a literal farm or a figurative farm. They're regrouping, they're licking their wounds, they're getting prepped. It's actually, when they go to the farm, that is the perfect time to take a piss. Don't say, I never taught you anything. And then three greatest feats. Look, there were so many great feats in this, I can't pick any. I'm just going to say one, and I'm going to say it three times. But then I realized that's annoying to do. So I'm going to say it once and you can imagine that I said it three times. Or if you don't have the imagination, just press back that little 15 second button on your device and listen to it three times. You will have to press that button twice. Uh, She was the female lead in a genre blockbuster and didn't end up romantically linked to the hero. Up until recently, there aren't many times you can say that. Uh, Fury Road is a good example of something that does that as well. And we know that everybody is singing its praises. Now, next time on ScarJo A Go-Go, we're looking at Luc Besson's ridiculously crazy, and in my opinion, awesome, Lucy. Now, I know not everyone likes this one, and worse still, there are people that are like, I don't like it because of science. I'm saying don't cheat yourself out of a good time. It's a really fun film. It's crazy. It's over the top. And Scarlet is absolutely fantastic in it, at least from what I remember. Will it still hold up when I watch it again next week? I don't know. Let's find out. Come and listen and you will know as well. Also going to be kind of an interesting show because after that one, I've caught up until Age of Ultron arrives on Blu-ray. So that means... One more episode, probably this year after Lucy. And then uh, we're going to have to wait until she makes more films. So this is going to be a weird thing. So make sure you are subscribed on iTunes so that you'll be notified. And in the meantime, of course, listen to all the other shows. There is The Book Was Better every Tuesday. So this one, well, the one just gone. The Tuesday coming up, I'm reading Tank Girl with the wonderful Leah. Every Monday, Jacinta and I do FPcast, the general pop culture, movie news, reviews, podcast. That gets quite funny. I'm proud of that one. And you can find all the shows, links to our discussion page on Facebook and everything at fruitlesspursuits.com or geekvision.tv. And if you really want to do us a solid, if you really love the shows and you just want to shower 
praise and stuff on us, go and subscribe to us on Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash Fruitless Pursuits. For a nominal amount a month, you can receive bonus content. Jacinta and I are recording some bonus content this week. And thank you so much. I love Winter Soldier. This was a really fun one to do. And I will catch you next week when we're going to see what happens when uh, we use more than 1% of the brain for Lucy. I will catch you then. She starts off really small and then she grows, she grows, she grows, she grows. Let's see how far she goes. Scar Joe, go, go.